It is Thursday, February 25th here in Draft Shark Studios in Rochester, New York. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Matt Schaff. Jared Smola is not with me this week. He's on the sideline. He's hard to work on a special project for the first time in uh, probably ever. We're going to be posting our season projections and turning on the MVP board in early March. That's right. No NFL draft yet. No free agency yet. A whole lot is going to change. But if you're out there drafting best ball teams, then we're here to help you. So make sure you're a DS insider. You can take advantage of that. In place of Jared tonight, though, I have a guest riding shotgun with me. If you're an FFPC veteran watching us on Thursday, then you probably already know who he is. He is the creator of FantasyMojo.com. He's the creator of the annual Pros versus Joes tournament that many of us take part in. He is at FantasyMojo on Twitter. He is Darren Armani in real life. Darren, thanks very much for joining me tonight. Hey, Matt. It's good to be back. we got a new season, and you know things are already kicking off, so I've already done a handful of drafts so i got some uh, some fresh data that i can share with you guys that's right that's where we're going to be mining for tonight but as people who might be familiar with the area can probably tell darren is a philly guy i have some philly roots went to high school down there so darren i know that we're we're all still kind of reacting to the the carson wentz fallout what's it like for you as an eagles fan and are people just like crying in the streets around you I don't know, like, the, the, you know, around here, it's there's always people complaining, like nobody's ever happy with, with uh, the quarterback situation anyway. I guess it's good that they kind of resolve that sooner than later, if that's the, the way they were going to go, rather than have a drag through camp and, and whatnot. And if, you know, it's funny, they always try to, they, they like to consider themselves like, we're the gold standard. But, you know, they're always getting 50 cents on a dollar on their investments. It's It's not like... It's like at the end of the day, they, they're they're not looking that great. It seems um, like it wasn't that long ago that this looked like one of the best run organizations in the NFL. I mean, within the past three years, at least, it seemed like it, it seemed like they were in great shape. And now all of a sudden, it, it's a mess. I mean, it, maybe I just didn't see the, the early signs of it, but it, it looks like a mess all of a sudden. Yeah, they, they mix in a Super Bowl, which is good. But, I mean, ever since Andy Reid left, it's it's been sort of a bumpy ride. You know, the whole Chip Kelly thing was a disaster. You know, in retrospect, for a guy who won you a Super Bowl, that, that kind of dissolved pretty quickly. Although, it, what I heard was it was sort of more driven, you know, by Peterson. He wanted out. So, that's what I kind of heard. So, but anyway, so we got another guy. And I don't... I don't know too much about him. He's probably more of a, a company guy. So maybe that's what they want at this point. We'll see. But it looks like they're going to roll with Hurts unless they do something crazy in the draft, which they kind of got themselves into this predicament by drafting another quarterback when they didn't necessarily need it. If they do that again, that would really kind of blow my mind. You know, with that number six pick, I, we'll, we'll see what they do. It always surprises me in the draft what these guys do. Yeah, I mean, they could do anything. It wouldn't shock me if they took a quarterback. It wouldn't shock me if they're not interested in a quarterback there. I, as a fantasy player, I hated them taking Jalen Hurts in the second round last year. We'll see. I, I wish that we could see what this story looked like at this point if they hadn't drafted Jalen Hurts. I mean, I refuse to believe that that Carson Wentz was fine and then just melted because they drafted a second round quarterback. I think that things were going to go poorly anyway but who knows if that accelerated it who knows if that made the the relationship worse behind the scenes i don't know it'd be nice if we could see a different version but this is what we got i agree with you that once we saw 
this offseason things were not going to get resolved. There was a new coach and there was still no, um, you know, rosy words from or about Carson Wentz. We could tell that he was going somewhere. So it's nice that he went to a good organization. It's nice that Jalen Hurts is there as a backup plan. And it's nice that they have the sixth overall pick to, to play around with, whether it's a quarterback or not. Yeah, I mean, that's what they always said. They said it was Frank Reich who was played a, a big role in his his sort of you know his success when he was flying high. So well, now he's back with him. So we'll see if that's truly the case or not. Or you know maybe his injuries caught up with him and he just didn't you know bounce back. He had he looked really good at the beginning and then he just kind of like went downhill. Nobody around here really has bad feelings towards him. Best of luck to him. We'll see how the season goes for once. We'll see whether Jalen Hurts is a starting quarterback for now. There are a couple of quarterbacks that we're considering in these drafts, and we're going to get into that drafting. I know you said you've done some. I've certainly been doing some best ball drafting already. Before we get to that, though, let's talk a little bit about Fantasy Mojo. When did you create Fantasy Mojo, and what motivated you to do so? I created Fantasy Mojo back in 2009. didn't really have much to do with FFPC. What I had done was... I had created some tools for myself. One of the big things I provide on my site is these colorized draft boards of basically every FFPC draft, and it's nice to have. But originally what I did was I created these for my fantasy league because they didn't provide that. All they had was like kind of this, the static you know, pages for drafts, and I can't really follow that when I'm doing a draft. I, I need the, the colorized board. So that was kind of the first tools that I rolled out. And, um, and then when Pros versus Joes came along, that was 2009. That's when I kind of started to incorporate FFPC content, and it's just sort of flourished over the years. You know, first I was just including league history from the past season's results for those guys, and then, uh, you know, started to do some of the ADP and then the waiver wires and the draft boards, and now I've got contest-specific content. You know, I do a lot around the football guys, and I do sort of, you know, a lot of uh, tools and analytics around specific for the football guys and for the main event and for the playoff challenge. And I'm able to dig into the data that they have. I always did it as a player. I'm not one of these guys who's just like a tech guy and I'm just building out tools for a site. It, these are the things that I was using. So I'm really, uh, you know, tied into like, what does the fantasy player need to help him draft and manage his team as he goes through the season? So that's what these are. These are the tools that I use and I just kind of put them out there for other people to use, you know, they're, they're kind of specialized in, in many ways that uh, that you don't see that a lot of sites are able to provide this type of content. Yeah, definitely a wealth of information if you're taking part in those competitions uh, and looking to, to build your teams there. Uh, tell me a little bit more about the creating the pros versus Joe's competition. How'd that come about? It has its roots in something that was called the, the Fantasy Players Network, which was like a site of fantasy sites back in 2008. It was like KFFL. I mean, it's these old school sites, KFFL, The Huddle, mm -hmm. and like just a whole bunch of them. And what I did was I created an industry you know competition between i think 24 of the sites in the network and i set it up as best ball and then we'll have like a you know a champion but then when i started playing with the ffpc like i approached these guys and said well let's we could do the same thing here but let's let's incorporate your high stakes players into this and let's pit the industry guys against like the the high stakes players and um it's it's kind of just you know, evolved over time. This will be our 13th year this year. And it really kind of took off when, when Alex approached me, I was out in Vegas drafting in the main event. And he's, he said like, you know, next year, what we want to do is just really take it to the next level and offer up main event entries for every division winner for this thing. Because up to that point, it was just like bragging rights on a, like a trophy for the overall mm -hmm. winner. So yeah, it's just, it's kind of grown over time. And, uh, 
you know, it's kind of like the premier sites, you know, and it's real hard to get into, man. It's like we only got so many spots. So even before it was made event entries, I remember there were side bets among people. I don't, I haven't seen quite as much of that lately. Nah. First time I got in it, I think I, I was feeling uh, gutsy and put up. I, I said, anybody that I beat owed me 50. Anybody who beat me, I would pay 50. But yeah, I, I wanted to jump in and, and try to to play the Joe's game with them. I think that was probably my best finish yet. I think I finished second place that year. I'm not sure I've gotten quite that high since then in my division. Oh, that's good. Yeah. He so you, you got some some money out of him. Yeah, that, that that was before like the main event prizes. So, mm-hmm. you know, people were just sort of putting up their own bounties. Um and that that was it was kind of more personal then. Mm-hmm. Um and that that was a good part of it. But it's ever since they uh I don't know, there's there's less of that sort of message board sort of you know, engagement over there. So you don't really see players kind of in, interacting like, like they did um, back in the day. It's kind of grown mm-hmm. um, as much. So it's not quite as personal, but mm-hmm. hey, people like the main event entries too. So I'm not complaining. Oh yeah, I'm not complaining about that either. Plenty of us have connected with, you know, Joe's on Twitter and other places as well. And I, you know, I always say Joe's kind of tongue in cheek, like guys who are Joe's, guys and females who are Joe's in this competition certainly know at least as much as most of the pros playing in that competition as well. So it's it's definitely a fun thing to do every season. We are months away, of course, from drafting the 2021 Pros versus Joe's Leagues, but best ball drafting is already a month old on myffpc.com, live now on other sites as well. So with that in mind, Mojo, let's turn the page here and tap into your hyper-focus on these drafts for all these formats, especially best ball this time of year. I know that you track best ball roster construction. Has optimal construction changed much year to year in the time that you have been studying that particular aspect? I think there's definitely like a sweet spot in, in terms of like the number of players you should be drafting at each position. But when you look back on it, it, it kind of deviates year to year. Kickers and defenses and, and quarterbacks, that's pretty consistent with like the optimal numbers. And most people know what they are. And it's like three kickers, three defenses, and three quarterbacks. But what I've, I've noticed is in the sweet spot for running backs and wide receivers, it'll differ by year to year. Like when you look back on like what was the best way to do it, for instance, in 2019, when I looked at it, you know, five or six running backs was really the best way to approach it. So it was a, a good year for for the running backs. Whereas last year you needed, um, I think you needed seven running backs to really, to hit the sweet spot, you know, then that's uh, hardly anybody got hurt in 2019 from the running backs. Right. That was mm-hmm. like a real good. And then last year was a disaster, like, like CMC and Barkley. And just, it was just, it was a whole mess. So it, it kind of stays with it. Like you stay in the lane and it's not like you want to be so rigid. And it's like, I must draft five, you know, six or seven. You kind of just, you know, let the draft play out. And, you know, as long as you're not like straying off one way or the other too far, you're going to be in, in good shape because that's just one component of overall best ball success. It's, you know, there's mm-hmm. roster construction, there's getting good value. You know, you can look at sometimes it's, 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 especially in the FFPC, you, it's when you draft the positions, right? One of the best things you can do is, is grab an elite tight end in the first round. I think one year that it, it's in, in the past five years, it was it, it worked out 
uh, negatively because I think that was the year Gronk got hurt. It was just like a complete disaster. But every other year, it's it's like really one of the things that can boost your your win rate. But it's it, for the most part, it's like yeah, there's there's kind of a template you should follow just in terms of roster construction. Early on, when the best ball products first started coming out, people I think were taking I think two defenses was one of the the big changes where early on. Uh, my friend Jason Phelps, who has done content for Draft Sharks in the past, was one of the first who really found that three team defenses was optimal there. And now that seems like the norm. It's kind of just one of those signals of everybody getting more efficient in the, the draft space now. You were talking about how people know it's three defenses, it's three kickers, it's three quarterbacks. Not necessarily rigidly that on every team, but those are the basic guidelines you start with. Is that how? your personal draft strategy has gone you've you've got like those spots locked in there and then you just kind of mess around with tight end uh wide receiver running back it sounds like yeah for the most part it was phelps was he the sports injury guy yes he had a lot of success i actually i got like winner's data like you can actually go to these pages and like look at and, and see the teams of like just sort of by team name and you can see like guys who have the same team name and, and their drafts. You can look at like what their approach was. And I specifically recall using looking at his. Mm-hmm. He was big on drafting quarterbacks that didn't get hurt. Right. Mm-hmm. He would just draft two, but he would draft two very early that had historically a very a limited injury history. But anyway, yeah, so I'll, I'll kind of stick to sort of that template. The time of year also influences the way you should approach it. Like right now, people who aren't drafting rookies, a lot a lot of people like say, oh, I'm going to wait till after the draft or I want to wait till closer to the season. You, there's significant gains to be had right now by, by hopping in these drafts. And you don't have to be like a dynasty genius. You just go on, you pick up these, pick off these rookies, whether you, you, you have like extensive knowledge of them or not, and it's going to boost your win rates because once the draft happens and they kind of move to their teams, the prices go up. Right. Like Chase Claypool was like going in the 26th round last year at this time. So you throw some darts and you pick up a few of these guys and kind of blend them in to the over, like in, into that optimal roster construction. It's going to jack up your rates. I specifically remember one team I drafted last year. I started off with McCaffrey and Todd Gurley. Okay. Which is a disaster, but I still mm-hmm. ended up winning the league because I picked up Justin Jefferson and Chase Claypool on that mm-hmm. same team. So that'll outweigh sort of any, unknowns that you might experience um, closer to the season. Are you taking any Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, or are they going too early for your tastes in, in drafting rookies? I haven't taken them yet. I mean, those are the top two guys off the board for rookies. I have picked up uh, Javonta Williams in a couple leagues already. It, it might be more of a function of that was – you know, I needed a running back at that time because he's, I think, going in like in the fifth round. And a lot of the drafts I've been taking two tight ends with uh, within the first four picks, just because, like I said, grabbing those elite tight ends is, if you're in the right spot, like I could justify taking Travis Kelsey one overall. But right now, I probably wouldn't. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if I'm drafting four or five and he's there, I'm snapping him up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been getting a lot of, like I've swapped out Kittle and Waller um, in the first round, just, you know, because I've seen this, the data shows, like grabbing elite tight ends in the in those first two rounds pays off so i'm gonna do it well yeah so that gets to the win rates point that we want to hit on here um first of all i guess so for anybody who's not familiar with win rates is just looking back players from last year and like what percentage of winning rosters they wound up on basically so uh, i guess first of all darren what is the value in looking back on last year's i mean somebody might say well who cares who won leagues last year i'm trying to win this year what's the value in looking at that data projecting it forward yeah, it's not going to really 
tell you who to draft this year necessarily. It's it's more or less a postmortem of okay, these are the players that were successful. But what it's an indicator of is these are the players who most outperform their ADP is is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can't just look at the player win rate. You have to like consider like you know where they were drafted in the context of that. And the more that a player outperforms his ADP, the more likely it is to lead to a higher win rate. So like I was saying, guy like Chase Claypool. Justin Jefferson, those guys had fabulous win rates because they were selected 14th, 15th round for Jefferson and Claypool was like in the 20th round. So if you get one of these, you know, guys that, that just catapults you up, up the boards, I mean, that's, they're, they're going to up um, a high win rate. Deontay Johnson was another guy. He was uh, drafted in the eighth to 10th round. Um, the other thing it'll tell you is it can be very damaging to miss on early picks. So you had Saquon and Michael Thomas with win rates of less than 1%. So that that draft capital you're spending on these these premier players, if they don't at least return value on that, you're in trouble unless you make it up somewhere else. So that's kind of what it tells. It's it's like it doesn't tell you which players you need to draft, but it it tells you the story of I need to hit on. So if I hit on some some guys late and they really outproduce their ADP, that's kind of what I want to have to to win my league. Yeah, because you're not necessarily winning your league with your first and second round picks. It's what well, you're doing later in the draft. Well, it's funny though that you certainly expect to see those guys that dramatically outperform ADP, but you'll also find those first round picks that really hit, like Alvin Kamara, Dalvin Cook, Travis Kelsey from this past season, Christian McCaffrey the year before. So, I mean, a lot of that's luck. I mean, who could have said that Alvin Kamara and Dalvin Cook would stay healthy? while McCaffrey and Barkley would get hurt. You can't really say that. Maybe it's a a signal to pass on somebody in round one who has more red flags than some other guys. Obviously you can't project injury for everybody, but you know, something to make you a little bit more wary. Travis Kelsey, he had an outlandish kind of productive season for even him last year. I, I wonder, I mean, I'm with you on drafting him in the first half of round one. I wonder though, if the season that he had last year is kind of pushing him and George Kittle and Darren Waller, up this year's draft board in that people are trying to chase last year's Travis Kittle, last year's Darren Waller, and maybe overlooking that just a year before Travis Kelsey was seventh among tight ends in, in win rate. It, it is kind of in general, and probably one of them is going to flop, you know, so you have to be careful. That's why it, it's good to sort of diversify and and not like plant your flag on, I'm just taking this guy every time because and that's how you're going to get yourself into trouble. There's some guys out there who they, they make a name for themselves by fading certain players or targeting certain players. And then what happens is they're overweight, severely overweight or severely underweight on certain players. And you can have a great season or like you may not even heard of what they did because <laughs> they didn't have any teams right. like winning because mm-hmm. they went too far to one extreme or the other. But Kelsey's been doing it. Uh, yeah, he had a great year, but he's he's about as safe as they come mm-hmm. i don't i don't think travis kelsey's gonna bust for anybody unless he gets hurt but I, I wonder if maybe he is kind of dragging waller and george kittle along with him are there a few maybe key players besides the guys already named that you think their win rates from last year might tell us something we didn't already know or even just reinforce something that we already thought for 2021 drafting it's one guy that surprised me just because he missed five games, but still had a pretty good win rate was Will Fuller. And, you know, I I would think he missed five games. People who didn't draft him didn't because of this injury issue. He had that other strange zero target game against Baltimore, yet he still was on all of these winning teams. But the thing with him is those 11 active games, even including the Baltimore game, he produced wide receiver eight 
points per game in PPR. So, you know, we talk about the double digit round guys, Chase Claypool, Justin Jefferson, but even somebody like Will Fuller, who was going in, I don't remember for sure at this point, but round eight, round nine, that kind of range, you can still find big upside there. A couple rounds ahead of that would have been Stefan Diggs. So it's not just, I got to take shots on all these late round guys who might do something, but it's, I think that this guy should probably be going two rounds ahead of where he is. I'm going to take him because his upside is even beyond that. I think he would be a value in the sixth. I can get him in the eighth. I'm going to take some of them because, you know, he could be a fourth rounder in value by the end of the year. Yeah. I mean, so the thing with best ball is you're going to bank those points. So if you get even a guy like he plays half the season, like, like, like Fuller kind of did, you know, he like went so crazy and, and you're, you're, your weekly points, they benefited so much. Like that carries you through the season. It's not like you get the, you know, a one win. It's not, it's not equal weight. It's like, it's weighted to like how much you outperform that week against the rest of the league. So if you had like a 70 point bleed over the second place team for a given week, that's going to create buffer for you, you know, over the course of the year. It's not like you just get like, okay, oh, I'm one and oh, and then I'm one and one. It's not like Every win isn't equivalent. It's like it's weighted towards what you did that week. So that's mm-hmm. where Fuller pays off. But that speaks to iron guys who are coming off injuries who you know they've done it before. And if you can get them at a depressed price and maybe with a couple round discount, then you know those are guys you probably want to look at. There's other guys this year. You know, it's I kind of look at it like guys coming off injury. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that you can get later on that maybe fit that profile. Like you know maybe Damian Williams or Tariq Cohen, or like just guys that are kind of, it's real, there hasn't been much about him, right? But if you snag them late, they, they're probably going to outperform their ADP. Um, not right. that they're going to like come back and be superstars necessarily, right. but they're cheap. Yeah, I think Tariq Cohen is a, a strong pick right now, especially if you have started in more of like a zero RB or waiting on running back or whatever. Tariq Cohen it has been talked about by nobody, He's going after a lot of rookies, even the ones that people aren't excited about. And yet Tariq Cohen, as far as I can tell, is going to be a significant part of the Chicago backfield again. And if he's last time I looked at his contract, I think he's a pretty good bet to stick around there. And he was half of that backfield before he led the receiving stuff. So there are some solid weeks at least and probably some strong weeks coming from Tariq Cohen. And you can get him late in the double digit rounds. Jamison Crowder was another wide out that jumped out to me last year and he also missed some games and will fuller we look at and we know that he's the boom bust type that's just his style of play jameson crowder you wouldn't think of that way he's more of a short range guy but that upside can be volume instead of just style of play it doesn't have to be deep balls it can be you know this guy can get 15 targets in any given game so jameson crowder even though he missed time and even though he was awesome early and less awesome later. He was somebody who delivered strong value at his draft day prices. Yeah. It, it, people were, were expecting like Brashad Perryman and Denzel Mims to kind of, and Chris Herndon was a disaster. Like that's all you heard about last year was like, Oh, Chris Herndon, Steph, Chris Herndon. And then that was like, right. he killed you, you know, because uh, it didn't pan out, but the crowd, well, he had to, he was up and down, but that's the type mm-hmm. of guy you want for best ball. You let the optimizer do the work. You you build the solid roster construction. You get guys who have these profiles of being able to like hit a ceiling or, and then really perform at a, certain, a certain week. And it just the optimizer does the work for you, and it puts these players together. And you know you're winning the league at the end of the year if you get enough of them. Right. So let's go back to tight ends. And we talked about Travis Kelsey, George Kittle, Darren Waller. Kelsey, of course, is a little earlier. 
even than he was already in FFPC drafts. And anybody who's not familiar, but everybody should be at this point, FFPC is one and a half PPR for tight ends versus one point PPR for everybody else. Travis Kelsey going earlier, obviously no problem with that. All three of these guys, though, are among the top 13 overall in ADP. George Kittle, Darren Waller. It sounds like, though, Darren, you're taking shares of obviously Kelsey, but also Kittle and Waller at their prices, right? Yeah, I mean, I think I've drafted a, a, a elite tight end in every draft so far. Well, not that I just I was in a five dollar best ball and then I drafted Dalvin Cook there. But other than that, I've I've been getting picks late at the end of the first round. Um, so I've been grabbing one or the other sort of in that, that 10, 11, 12 spot. I'm coming away with one because the, the elite running backs are sort of gone. And that's where the running back gets a little iffy with like, um, you know, Nick Chubb and, and Cam Akers. And I just, at that point, I feel more comfortable taking the elite tight end because I know what it does for you. And then having that in your back pocket, you can really sort of pick off value for quite a while in the draft. And then hit the, the tight ends again later on. So while everybody else is then scrambling for those middle tier tight ends, you're grabbing like high producing wide receivers and running back thins out pretty quick. But I'm usually t- loading up on wide receivers after that with that elite tight end in my back pocket. Mm-hmm. And especially if it's a 28 round FFPC draft, you just kind of load up on running backs and you, you figure that you'll find one or two guys that hit pretty well. One early best ball draft, I think it was the second one I did. Uh, Darren Waller went like seventh overall and I was like what is Darren Waller doing there but the more time that I've spent on it I'm not sure I'm taking him that early because we still got Devontae Adams Tyreek Hill on the board but as soon as we get around that one two turn the guys you're talking about like you know even Nick Chubb Ezekiel Elliott are off the board and we're into those second year running backs in round two I feel pretty good about Darren Waller in that early part of round two George Kittle Maybe, I don't know. I guess I'm still getting comfy with George Kittle versus Darren Waller because I haven't done my team projections yet. So I don't really know exactly what I expect from them versus each other. Kittle, I think, has a lot more competition all of a sudden with Brandon Ayuk and Debo Samuel than he did. Whereas Darren Waller, I'm not sure where that competition is going just yet. So I wonder if he's the safer target bet. Do you have a favorite between Kittle and Waller right now? Or are they pretty even and you're just getting I've, both? Yeah, I mean, like I said, I've been getting 10, 11, 12, and I've I've just alternated them. The thing with, with Waller is it's not so much him I'm worried about. It's it's there's there's a little bit of uncertainty around that quarterback position in Las Vegas. You keep hearing like rumors of of Carr and and they, they seem like oh well Mariota might be the guy that goes but now you're hearing like Russell Wilson wants to go there but if you look at the stats last year Waller had more targets even than, than Travis Kelsey so the volume is is there for sure but it's not necessarily him that I'm worried about it's his car now Kittle plays a little reckless and he gets hurt that's a concern with him but he's a beast if he could stay healthy for you know, all 16 games, that would be great. So you just, you kind of split the difference and you, you know, you kind of mix it up and Mark Andrews is cheaper this year. I've been grabbing him in the fourth round. I think he's kind of like, he's like in a tier by himself right now. You know, you got Kittle, Kelsey and Waller. Then you got Andrews and then Hawkinson and Fant. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm not really in on Hawkinson in like the fourth or the, or the early fifth round where he's going. Mm-hmm. I'm just, it's Detroit's, it's, I don't know, I, I, I'm not totally sold on it. So I'm skipping him, then Fan and Goddard. I have questions about, like, I mean, I pretty much every Eagles game. It's like, well, when did this guy ever dominate a game? And he's he's consistent, but I'm, I'm going, I'm, I'm liking that tier after them. Gasecki, Logan Thomas, Tanyan, and, and Ingram is kind of like that sweet spot that I've been picking up guys sort of after that first elite tight end that I'm grabbing. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what it's been like for me, too. If I don't take one of those top three guys, I'm not in a hurry for the next group. I haven't gotten to Mark Andrews yet, but I'm okay with him in round four. I'm with you on Hawkinson in that if he slides past ADP, I'll take a shot on him because I think he has a chance to be a high target guy in Detroit because there's not a whole lot going for him at this point. But it's certainly not anything I'm excited about. I'm not reaching for anything Detroit. But then beyond that, I mean, how much difference is there between Evan Ingram and Noah Fant or Dallas Goddard in terms of upside? And if we're talking about a couple rounds of difference, I'm I'm fine with waiting on Evan Ingram. And I even think there's plenty of value outside of the top 12, including some very late tight ends that we're going to get to in a little bit. Yeah, there's a lot of names out there. I mean, it's not that it's a deep. For best ball, I think it's somewhat attractive pool of players that have a lot of potential if this is just redraft then the you know guys that like you're not going to know what you're going to get week to week and it's it's a little bit of a tougher if i'm going to go say okay let me grab ebron or jarwin you know everybody seems to be thinking jarwin's going to come back 100 percent. i'm not so sure you know i'll take some dalton schultz later he's going in like in the 20th round just as that's that's like my fourth tight end but like I said, with best ball, the optimizer is going to do the work for you. You don't have you can mm-hmm. you know guys who can like have spike weeks and and just sort of target them. Now the the first two rounds are are still running back heavy, like last year. Are there anywhere in there that you see potential landmines, whether it be late in round one or round two? Obviously, it kind of ties into what we were talking about with the tight ends in that range. Like, are there specific players or like a pool of players among those running backs in the first two rounds that you're that you're queasy about and passing on, or are you mixing them in? Aaron Jones, you know. It's a tough time to take him in round two because we don't know. We have no idea where he's landing. Yeah, so that's kind of an iffy pick if you're going to go running back there. J.K. Dobbins, that seems like pretty expensive. I don't know that he's got, like, he's not going to be the, the, the bell cow necessarily. you still got some other faces there. He's, um, he's a no for me in round two primarily because I don't see a path to catching 50 balls and he's also not going to carry, you know, 270 times, like you're saying. So uh, I don't, I don't know about a 220 carry 35 catch guy. Obviously there's upside beyond that, but yeah, Dobbins is a no for me in round two. Yeah. And, and nothing, nothing really beyond that. There's like Metcalf in the second round. So what thing that struck me was Metcalf is going in the second round and Tyler Lockett's going in the seventh round. Yeah. But I was like, eh, I've been picking up a lot of Lockett because when I, when I compared what they did side by side, I was like, well, Lockett didn't do that much worse than when Metcalf when you look at it at the end of the day. So, yeah, I mean, it was very up and down. He had a few spike weeks, but overall, their numbers were, were not very far apart. And it surprises me that Metcalf would go in round two, but Russell Wilson would be, he's like QB eight, QB nine range right now. He's certainly not going that high. If I took Metcalf in round two or early round three for that matter, I think I would be reaching for Russell Wilson because if I'm taking Metcalf that high, I'm expecting him to have a boom season. And I don't see how that's happening without at least some astronomical weeks from Russell Wilson, if not an overall, you know, top five season. Right. And that, that, that gets you into like the stacking. That's like another strategy that you can employ. So if you do go Metcalf, then you can, you can tie Russell Wilson to him. And especially you see, if you, here's the thing with the ADP. Everybody, ADP is out there. It's like baked in the draft room. Like you have to go out of your way now to like screw up a draft because mm-hmm. it's it's sorted. It's telling you who to pick essentially, right? So, but what you can do is I'll use that to my advantage because I know when other people are gonna are gonna pick players. So if I'm targeting certain guys, I'm like, okay, well I know I can get this guy 100% of the time. I'll just grab him like you know a half a round or a round earlier than when the ADP is, 
And if I have a certain preference for a guy like that, then he's going to be there for, you know, for me every time. So I kind of use ADP sometimes in the reverse sense. And that's how you can build stacks. Like if you know, if you want to build a certain stack, you can certainly Mm -hmm. say, okay, I'll take like Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews. You could probably easily tie them together. Last year it was, it was much harder to do. Speaking of a Holmes, if you take Tyreek Hill in round one, I feel like Patrick Mahomes is close to an auto pick in round three. At the very least, if he gets to you in round four, I don't think you pass on him. And I did see, I was in a a 10-team best ball tournament draft on drafters earlier today, and somebody took Tyreek Hill in round one, passed on Patrick Mahomes in round four for James Robinson. Those are the kind of mistakes that surprise me, I think, at this point. Yeah, if you're if you're doing like a tournament style setting, then that's really like you want you want to pay more attention to stacks. I don't necessarily go into these these sort of self-contained leagues um, looking to stack guys. Mm-hmm. If it presents itself as an opportunity as I'm going through, then yeah, I'll, I'll see it's happening and then I'll I'll snag it. But I'm not going to sort of like alter my my approach. Like I need to get a stack because, like I said, there's like so many strategies you need to have in your tool belt. And you just, as, as, as the draft evolves, you sort of like pick up on all of these different, you know, strategies that can, that can increase your win rate along the way. So, you don't you know, it's, it's, it's a blend of all of them. And if you've been doing this long enough, it's kind of like muscle memory to you, mm-hmm. you know, and so, and that's why we're drafting early right now. It's, right. So we can get a handle on the player values and see how the boards are sort of, you know, coming into play. And it's, it's, it's going to change, you know, the first big change is when free agency hits and then there'll be a massive shift in player values. Then after the draft is the next one. Yeah. These drafts are our uh, Tua workouts while Justin Herbert's out playing golf. Yeah, exactly. We talked about the rookie running backs earlier. How are you feeling about rookie wide receivers so far? I have been drafting quite a lot of them. I really like grabbing these guys. They don't seem to be going to crazy prices. No. Uh, you know, getting back to like the Claypool example, like I want these guys and in, in like Ayuk, I want these guys who are just going to come out of nowhere late in the season. And I want, I want to be, I want to have like a, an inventory of these guys on my teams that, that cost me nothing during the draft, but can really just sort of take over and, 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 and propel you at the end of the season or sometimes even at the end, like, you know, they, they'll come like, remember what Odell Beckham, like that was like the ultimate example. He was mm-hmm. like 17th, 18th round pick. And then he was like a complete stud all year long. Mm-hmm. So I'll invest my earlier draft capital into the, some of the more established players and then just like really throw darts in the second half of the draft. And one of the things we have on the site, I have a best ball analysis. And one of the analyses that I do is I look at, specifically best ball teams drafted prior to the NFL draft. And I, I see like, well, how many, based upon how many rookies a team owned on their best ball in their best ball team, like what was the win rate? The guys who draft zero or one rookies, it's terrible. It's like under 5%. It's like really bad. The, and then it, the, as you go from like three up to about six or seven rookies, it kind it's like a bell curve. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, that the win rate starts to go up and then it starts to tail off a little bit. Mm-hmm. So I've been trying to snag four or five rookies in every draft that I've done so far. And what about Kyle Pitts? Is he in that mix, the, the rookie tight end? He's expensive. I mean, yeah, I was trying to do a comp for him and I was like, well, I guess Fant and Hawkinson a couple of years ago was the closest thing I could think of. But they were going like in the, uh, the, the 13th, 14th round. Pitts is going in like the eighth round. Mm-hmm. And also, when you take like you don't know what team he's going to be on, right. and take into consideration that you know it's rookie tight ends 
don't have a, a great history of producing. So it's I think it's going to be dependent upon like where he lands. But it's too mm-hmm. expensive for me right now to be drafting him. Yeah, that's been my feeling on Pitts as well. I mean, he's go he's going in the same range as as Evan Engram. Hayden Hurst is behind him, so I just I, I don't I don't see the opportunity cost uh, in going for him. Um, yeah, not even know where he would land to justify that. Like, what what right. situation is he going to get into that he's going to like <laughs> pay off for that th- at that price? Right, I and mean, even if he does land in that situation, then he's later going to be going eighth or whatever, and it's still going to be too early. So I I don't know. I don't I don't see you know, anything's possible, but. You'd have to be betting, I think, at this point that he has top six upside for the price to make sense, I think. Right. So the quarterbacks are pushing up the board. They're they're starting a little bit later than they were last year. Everybody was excited about Lamar Jackson, and then Patrick Holmes was not far behind. But now they're starting a little bit later, but that next group is pushing up further after the scores that we had this past season from quarterbacks. Are you making sure to grab one of those QBs that are off the board Oftentimes by the end of round six, there's like nine of them going in that range. Yeah, there's I guess there's more uncertainty than usual right now about a lot of the quarterback situation. So it's just kind of inflating the price overall. And there's like this rush. There's like this, you know, this flight to safety mm-hmm. and uh, sort of the, those they're not even elite guys, but it, there's a certainty. And, and knowing in best ball, you need to have, you know, two or three of them. People are grabbing you know, some of those, those, those safe plays. And yeah, I've been, they're not going in the second round. I mean, so I got like Lamar, like in the fourth round, mm-hmm. uh, the fifth round even. And then, uh, you know, whoever else is there. I, li- I like to grab at least one surefire lock at quarterback and then see how the draft goes. Like, are they going to keep picking them off or are they going to like pull back and, and are they going to fall? Like I was in a, this one of these $5 best ball slims and I mean, I got two leagues going right now. So I get Tannehill in, in the seventh round in my $35 league. And I just picked off uh, Tannehill in the 11th round in this best ball slim. So it's it's kind of a draft-to-draft thing. And mm-hmm. But then I'm wondering, like, with, with these $5 drafts, like, I'm kind of, like, keeping an eye on, like, what these guys are doing. Like, is is it the same profile of, of FFPC player that's drafting in a 35 versus who's drafting in a 5? And I haven't quite figured that out yet, but... Uh, I'm looking at that, and I'm wondering if I need this. I may end up splitting out ADP just for these five dollars drafts if things get like nutty. You I'll know, be curious to see what you find because I would I would not be surprised if it's a different group. Uh, I'm sure that five dollars drafts draw in more casual players, and I I mean I'm not a high dollar player like a lot of FFPC guys, but uh, there there might be a number of them that are like five dollars. Why would I even bother wasting my time on that? Yeah, I mean, there's there's the price for your time. Yeah, I haven't seen anything stupid like you know quarterbacks going in the first round, but I'm just it, they've only been out for you know four days. So let's look later in the draft where we can get some of those guys that finish the season with the outlandish win rates. And uh, are there any particular players or even pools of players that you find yourself gravitating towards? You know, beyond the rookies that you already talked about, grabbing a few of those in the later rounds. Any any veterans, I guess, that you're going to more often as high upside targets later in drafts? Well, I'm a Penn State homer, apparently, because I got Pat Fryermuth up here <laughs> in multiple drafts. Jared Cook, I've been picking off. He's been going really late, and I know he's a free agent, but I, I think the team brings him in. It's it's specifically for, you know, a very significant pass catching role. So I've, I've been grabbing a lot of Jared Cook. Damian Williams, I've been grabbing late. Here's one, Philly one, Travis Fulgham. So it, it's kind of playing out like I thought it would. You know, they got rid of Deshaun Jackson. Alshon Jeffrey's been toast, you know, for like over a year. So really all they have now is Rager 
in Fulgham, and they'll probably bring somebody else in. But those guys are super cheap, so I've been picking up those guys as well. Yeah, I just took my first Travis Fulgham share earlier today on the same team as Jalen Rager, so I'll be curious to see how things play out there. Some of the other guys that I like, we mentioned Chris Herndon earlier. He's a nice little post-hype guy to make a bet on right now because Adam Gase is gone, and that's been good for people in the past. The question of who his quarterback will be you know, remains to be answered, but it might not matter if he's still on a Jets team. It doesn't have a whole lot of targets. He's going very late now, so you can get him outside the top 24. Gerald Everett, I think it's a good time to buy him before he becomes a free agent. He'll land somewhere that wants him most likely, and he has pass-catching talent. And then Adam Troutman, I think, is a guy who's set up to benefit if the Saints don't bring back Jared Cook and their cap situation certainly suggests that they're likely to move on from him. But, you know, there's a second-year guy that's not being drafted too high in a situation that I think people are apprehensive of with Drew Brees expected to retire at this point. Yeah, I mean, those are some good names. Um, and uh, Herndon fits the profile what we were talking about later, a guy who has been really quiet, but you know he has the skill, so you can grab him now. And he'll probably rise up in drafts as, as we get closer to the season. You know, but, but to, not to the degree of the, the craziness that we had last year. I don't even remember how high he went. Like probably sixth, seventh round. Or th- he might even go in at that early. I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, he got um, in high tight end two territory at one point. Yeah, it's like every every tout was like, oh, Chris Herndon's the guy. It's like, <laughs> you <laughs> well, know, I got burned a little bit too. But, um, you know, I wasn't like overweight on him. But Never get excited about something that Adam Gase says about a player. I, yeah. One late stack that I've found myself targeting a little bit is you already talked up a Giants receiver. And really, when there are a couple of Philly guys get on a podcast, we shouldn't be talking up Giants. But Daniel Jones and Darius Slayton, I think, both both have some post-hype uh, appeal to them this year. I, I was out on both of them last year because they were too expensive in an iffy offense. And I still don't believe in that offense. But Daniel Jones is sitting in the bottom of QB2 territory now after he was living on that QB1 fringe last year. If he goes off, even if it's for a game or two, you know, a few big games this season, I think he's going to bring Darius Slayton with him, who had those big games as a rookie, didn't do a whole lot last year. He's wide receiver 65 in FFPC drafts right now. So you're basically paying nothing for this tandem that had like two to three week winning performances together in 2019. Yeah, cheap stack. And, uh, you know, the, the price is depressed on on Jones. I mean, he didn't have that great a year, but. um if if he can pick it up a little, you know what he had over 400 yards rushing yards here. So um, you know he, he's going to do it with his legs as well. And you know if, if Ingram is is healthy, then that that's definitely going to help too. So yeah, he's a uh, the job is secure, right? Mm-hmm. So he's like a cheap guy you can get that's kind of you know in that that realm of of safe plays for quarterbacks. You know where he fits nicely, I think, is if you don't get one of those top nine quarterbacks and you're just behind that, and you get let's say Tom Brady, Matt Ryan, and then Daniel Jones is your third. That's not an exciting group, but you can definitely get 15 QB one weeks out of that trio of quarterbacks. You're mentioning uh, your associate, the, the sports injury doctor, or whatever he was. He, like I said, he would just draft two, but he would take two like really safe mm-hmm. guys that weren't injury prone. And a, a guy that I like that really fits in that profile is Kirk Cousins. I mean, that guy, when, when's the last time he was hurt? Like it was like 2015, or um, it was it was like years and years ago. He's solid. I mean, you can get him QB 17 for for a guy that's going to be rock solid for you. So yeah, but he's about to get traded to the 49ers for a first round pick. Didn't you see it in Peter King? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Obviously, that move's coming. Yeah, we'll see how that plays out. But yeah, so 
cheap stacks. Yeah, we don't like the Giants, but there's there's production there to be had rather than paying up. Yeah, my favorite team in fantasy is my own team, so I don't have to worry about team allegiances here. Yeah, that's it. He is at Fantasy Mojo on Twitter. His site is fantasymojo.com. You're going to want to check it out, especially if you're competing in FFPC formats. Darren, thanks very much for joining me tonight and sharing your insights. Hey, no problem, man. That's going to do it for this edition of the podcast. Head over to draftsharks.com now. You can check out my reviews of QB and running back scoring from last season. Wide receivers, tight ends, IDPs will follow soon. Early March, you will find our initial 2021 projections as well as our live MVP draft board. So make sure you're an insider so you can get access there. We are also on Twitter. We are at DraftSharks. I am at ShaufDS. That's S-C-H-A-U-F. For Darren Armani, as well as the rest of the DraftSharks crew, I'm Matt Shaufs, and thanks so much for swimming with us.